Did you hear about what took place at the Metropolitan Museum of Art? And maybe you heard about the statue of Rihanna. Let me see your hands if you even know who Rihanna is. You need to get a little more engaged. She's a pop musician. Well, it seems like a lot of people are showing up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art to see this statue of this pop singer, Rihanna. But there's a problem. It doesn't exist. You see, Vogue magazine decided back when they were having the Met Gala a while back to post on social media this thing about this marble statue of Rihanna just to get people's interest. And now people are showing up, knocking on the doors of the museum, wanting to see this statue, and it doesn't exist. That came across my Twitter feed earlier in the week, and time I read that, I, I thought, wow. I, I kind of fear that that may be a, a problem that, that may be taking place in the church. That people are knocking on our doors, they're coming into places and spaces like this, they're encountering us, and they're expecting to find something. And yet that's not what they're seeing. Because we're not really there in that way. They're expecting us to be different from the world. They're expecting us to be change agents in the world. But that's not what they're finding. Well, they find all kinds of things, big personalities and highly developed programs, and certainly they'll find political hot takes at a lot of churches. They'll find crisp presentations, but they don't find what they're looking for. They don't find a group that's gathered living out the greatest commands of God. And that's why this message is so important as we continue in our summer of love. It takes us back to the basics of who we are supposed to be as Christ followers. What we are supposed to do as those who say that we fear God and honor his commands in our lives. In short, you could say it teaches us how to live in such a way that we can give people what they're looking for from Christians. So I want to guide you to Luke chapter 10. Take your copy of God's Word, and I always want to remind you, you need that in this place of worship because it's important that you test and see that what I'm saying is true. I'm not making this up. It's the Word of God. So whether it's a Bible or whether you have an app on your device, follow along with me. Luke chapter 10, and this has become one of my favorite verses in Scripture because it begins with a bang. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 begins this way. It says, uh, he, that's Jesus, told them, that's his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus was telling those who were following him, hey, there are others who need to follow me. There are others who need to know about me, but there are not enough people who are telling them and are going and are making a difference. And so years ago, your staff at this church, we begin to gather every morning. The office is open at 10.02, and we pray this prayer in obedience to the command of Jesus. We pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Here, here's how it sounds. Usually we begin by saying, God, would you send laborers from us? And I remember years ago praying, God, would you start in my family? Would you call some of my children to serve you with their lives? And now I stand and I'm 
I'm seeing the fruition, the fruitfulness of those prayers. We've prayed, God, would you send people from us, teenagers, and would you raise up children who feel that call, and would you send senior adults to go? And then we would pray, God, would you send people to us to help us work in the harvest field? And I can't tell you how excited it makes me to be able to to say to you that even during COVID, God sent us new people in our church family that came in ready and equipped to work and, and are now some of our greatest servants in the church. And we'll pray things like, God, would you send people to help resource your vision? Because in this world, it does take finances to do things. And God has answered that prayer. And then sometimes we pray for specific people by names who are in that harvest field. Names like the one coming to your mind right now, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a classmate. And so before we do anything else, I know we just prayed, but how could I tell you that and not pause to pray in obedience to the command of Jesus? So let's, let's pray again. Father... In the name of Jesus, we've come and, and we've already sought your face. We've already cried out for this time together. But now we're just crying out in obedience to the Lord of the harvest. Send labors. Let it begin with us. Help us to know when to go. And then, Lord, send others to help us. Lord, would you build your church by sending others to work in this harvest field? And, Lord, would you change the neighborhoods around all of our campuses? Lord, would you reach Tampa for your name's sake? And then let it spread into the world. Um, God, we thank you for this. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So that's the beginning of chapter 10. Well, at the end of chapter 10, we have another one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You remember how that story goes? Mary and Martha are, are there in their house. Jesus comes to visit. One's busy. One's just hanging out at Jesus' feet. And the one who's busy gets kind of mad and, and says, Did you, oh, I'm kind of, and Jesus says, hey, it'll be okay. And then he says, look, you're busy doing good things, but she has done what? the better things. And so at the end of chapter 10, God's word tells us how to do the best things in life. And just for the record, you know what that was? Just hanging out at the feet of Jesus. Just spending time with Jesus. So you see, I could go off on that, but that's not what we're focusing on. Because nestled in between the beginning of chapter 10 and the end of chapter 10 is the great commandment of God spoken by Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, the most familiar story in all the Bible. It's called the Good Samaritan. See, you already know it, the Good Samaritan. So let's take our copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And I read that, and I instantly thought, man, how often am I guilty of that? Just putting God to the test. God, if you love me, if, if you're really there, if you know what I'm going through, maybe you're like that too. Sometimes we find ourselves when we act like we're a lawyer before God and we're testing him. He stood up to test Jesus and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and I hear that and I think that's the question everybody wants to know. And we, we read stories about it. There's fiction that's been written about it. There are movies that have been made about it. How do you live forever? And yet that's not really a question we should ask because if the Bible's true, everybody lives forever somewhere. So the question should not be, how do I live forever, but how do I live fulfilled? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you life that's abundant, that's overflowing, that's fulfilling. So Jesus then responds, well, lawyer, what's written in the law? <laughs> that makes sense. 
He's asking a lawyer a question about the law who would just ask him a question about the law. And he replied, how do you read it? The man answered, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. A few weeks ago, we learned that he's describing what's called the Shema. You find that in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that command that uh, really every Jewish person understood. Uh, They were taught that when you do this, you live long. When you love right, it changes things. And they were even taught how to learn that, right? Because they said, put it on your forearms, put it on your forehead, put it on your doorpost, so that everywhere you look, you're focused and fixated on this love of God. And so that's how he answered. And Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. Do you ever, do you ever feel like you need to justify yourself? You know, I blew it, but you didn't know what I was going through. Yeah, always looking for loopholes. What's the lowest acceptable standard? It's kind of like a child where the parent draws a line and they're just going up to the edge, just seeing, seeing if they can step over. He said, ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Having been in that region several times, let me just tell you, that's the only way to go from Jerusalem to Jericho is down Jerusalem's up on a hill. Jericho is down low. Uh, and in fact, it's right at the Sea of De- uh, uh, the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is below sea level. So to go from Jerusalem to, to Jericho, it's about a 17-mile journey, and it's downhill. But that's not all. Historians tell us that it's this part of the road that Jesus would have been referring to in that model prayer when he talks about death. It's what the psalmist would have been referring to in Psalm 23 when he speaks of the valley of the shadow of death. This narrow place that's filled with robbers and murderers. So he was going down and he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest. Now, here's a familiar sight, a religious person. They're going to get this right. I don't know what story you're telling Jesus, but this is going to be the hero. A priest, the most religious, most like God, right? Because people expect things of us. They, they come expecting to see something when they see us. Well, he happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. By the way, that's just another religious leader. He was an assistant to the priest, associate pastor, if you will. And he came to the place, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And then Jesus says these words, but a Samaritan. Now, that's significant, because Jesus would have been talking to a Jewish audience, and the Jewish people were not fond of the Samaritans. Why? Let me just give you two of the reasons. One, they were different. And two, they despised them. They didn't like them. They didn't like them as a race of people. They didn't understand their culture, their religions, their background. So it's significant that Jesus 
says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put him on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, he, he took out two silver coins and gave him to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Then Jesus said, so, which of these three men, priest, Levite, Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And again, the expert in the law didn't hesitate. He replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, I just want to give you a quick takeaway and then unpack these verses, maybe in a different way than you've heard them before. Here's the takeaway. Who we are determines how we see the world. And ultimately, how we see the world determines what we do for God. You see, the lawyer asks this question, who is my neighbor? But through his story, Jesus tells us that he was really asking the lawyer, who are you? And that's what God wants to know of us, gathered together on what we call the Lord's Day. Who are you? Are you really that person that you represent to be? Are you really a follower of Christ? Are you really one who fears God and seeks to honor his commands? But again, we're jumping ahead because Jesus, in his reply, is acknowledging that both of these commands are great in the eyes of God. First, love the Lord your God with all that you are. Are you doing that? Does God have your all? Because you'll never serve others the way he's going to tell us to serve others until you first serve and love him the way he tells us to serve him. But the lawyer does get the second part too. He quotes from Leviticus 19 and verse 18 and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus instantly replies, you've answered correctly. Bingo, you got it. Good job. And, and it's in this moment that we learn really what is most important to every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. It's simple. We can even sum it up in fewer words. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. Let's say those together. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. One more time. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. That's what we're supposed to do. In fact, Jesus has asked this question in Matthew's gospel. We have the same account. And in Matthew 22 and verse 40, Jesus says, On these two, on these two commands, rest the entire law and the prophets. In other words, everything else that you have in the Old Testament, everything else hinges on whether or not you obey these laws. Think about that. That's significant. They're interconnected. If you truly love God, you will tangibly love people. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Raise your hand if you've ever had a cold. That should be all of us. All right. How do you know? Well, 
<laughs> Trick question. You, you know because you had symptoms, right? You were sneezing, sniffling, coughing, aching, had fever. You needed some so-you-can-rest medicine. <laughs> you had a cold. When, when you sneeze, achoo, when you sneeze, what's coming out? Well, don't describe it, but what's inside of you is coming out. That virus is coming out. So what Jesus is saying is if the love of God is in you, you're going to sneeze out love of others. If the love of God is not in you, you're going to be selfish and focused on you, and you're not going to care about others. But if the true love of God is in you, when you sneeze out life, there are going to be tangible expressions of the love of others. John Piper puts it this way, loving others is the outward manifestation, the visible expression, the practical demonstration of the love of God, and therefore is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament is all about. You can't truly love God without living a life focused on loving others. So, the lawyer said, love God, love others. And Jesus said, right on. You got it. So don't miss this. <laughs> he got the right answer. And when I think about that, you know what hits me? A lot of us who hang out in this kind of space and place, we know the right answer. We know what it should be. Matter of fact, even those who don't know God know what it should be. That's why they come to us expecting to find something different. But... It's not simply the truth you know that makes a difference, is it? It's the truth you obey. And Jesus knew that in the case of this lawyer. What did the lawyer do next? <laughs> he just tried to lower the bar. He tried to limit the love that he had to show. As I said a moment ago, we're always looking for loopholes, aren't we? Why? Why? Why are we looking for loopholes? It's easy. We're all sinners. We all fall short. And at the nature of, at the heart of the nature of sin is this desire to put self first, to make it all about me. That, by the way, is why it should not surprise us that a movement that is known for celebrating lifestyles that God says are not his will nor his way, it shouldn't surprise us that that's known as the pride movement. Because pride is at the core of all of our sinful choices, of all that we do wrong. These commands get to the root of all sinfulness, our selfish longing to meet our own needs and our own desires above anything else. Because the height of sin is the pursuit of self at the exclusion of God and others. And so what do we do? When confronted with this, we make excuses. Now, don't raise your hand this time, but I want you to think about times you've done that. Maybe where you've read God's Word, or you've been in a service like this, or, or you've been in a teaching moment, maybe in a small group, and it's been clear to you. You've felt the conviction of God that there should be an action, there should be something that you need to do. And yet you've come up for it with a reason why you're not going to do it. I can't afford to right now, or I don't have the time to right now, or I don't think I have the ability to do that. 
I just want to point something out to you. When you set your mind on not doing something, any excuse will do. But when you set your mind on doing something, nothing will get in your way. And that's true in your daily life. You do the things you want to do. You spend your time, your efforts, your resources, your energy on those things you desire. So Jesus knew this too. And so he illustrates this story. Let me see if I can illustrate it in a modern day way that you'll understand. There's this U.S. Army vet. He served the country, but he's fallen on tough times. And he's traveling down from New York to Miami, but somehow he ends up sidelined in Tampa. You've seen him. He's under the bridge. He's at the intersection you passed. He's got that sign. Anything will help. You passed him by. But it wasn't just you, because this is Tampa. There's a lot of churches in Tampa. And and I just need you to know, one of the well-known large church pastors just passed right by. He saw him, but he didn't stop. But that's okay. There are a lot of those Christ followers in in Tampa. And and so it wasn't just that. There are other well-known Christians in Tampa. There are people who have written Christian books. There are Christian singers. There, There are some people that have written Christian Bible studies that when you gather together in church, we study their words. One of them drove by. But she didn't stop. And then on that busy highway, in that dangerous part of Tampa, in one moment, a Muslim immigrant was driving by. He saw that person, and he saw that he was a U.S. vet. He pulled over. He said, hey, buddy, come in. I want to help you. Man, the first thing he did is he drove him over to Mission Barbecue. I mean, that place honors vets, and they got good food. So he loaded him up on some pulled pork and some collard greens and all kind of cornbread. I mean, it was a great moment. And then after he got his tummy full, he said, Target's right next door. So he went into Target. He said, hey, the bathroom's right here on the left. You go in there. You get cleaned up. I'm going to go get you some clothes. What size do you wear? He went and he paid for those clothes and he took them to the men's room and that guy changed and he came out looking like a different man. He said, what's next? The vet said, I don't know. He said, well, neither do I, but let's buy you some time. So they got back in the car and he drove them down to the Hampton Inn and he went to the Hampton Inn to the front desk and he gave the clerk there his credit card and he says, I don't know how long this is going to be. Just put it on my card. Everything will be taken care of. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? That's the story Jesus told. The unexpected stranger going out of their way, out of their comfort zone to make a difference in their little corner of the world. Could that be you? Is that you? What would it take? Let's dissect the story a little bit. What happened? First of all, the good Samaritan, he opened his eyes. Now, something's interesting. In this passage of Scripture, it literally says that the priest and the Levite saw the guy on the road. But sometimes you don't see what you see, do you? 
In fact, I've talked with folks who have been on the side of the road, are in difficult situations in life. Maybe even someone who's physically handicapped. And you know what they say? Man, the worst feeling is, is when people see us, but they don't see us. They look at us, but they look right through us. He opened his eyes. Three men looked, but two kept going. But he didn't stop there. He also opened his heart. He was willing to feel. The Bible says that he was moved with compassion for this individual. And it's the same word that's used of Jesus when it says he was moved to compassion. And it literally means a stirring in the gut, a guttural feeling that something's got to happen. It's when you feel moved to do something. Maybe it's in a service. Maybe it's on a drive. And you just feel that lump in your throat or just that beating in your heart or those chills that come over you and you just think, I've got to respond. He wasn't cold to the situation. He opened his eyes, he opened his heart, and then he, he opened his hands. He realized something needed to be done. And you know, if you see a need... That's expressing the reality that something needs to be done. And then finally, and and this is the one we don't like to talk about. Here you go again, preacher. He opened his wallet. Yeah. He gave generously and sacrificially. Um, The translation, the NIV that I read from, it it says two silver coins. Some of your translations say two denarii. Um, Here's what we know. This was a few days' wages. And it was somewhere between enough to cover three weeks rent at the lodge or three months at the lodge. He gave. You you see, this is why Jesus was telling the story. Because it's convicting, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know, but I hear that and I think, man, I don't think I'm there yet. How does it make you feel uh, about the way you see others? How does that story make you feel about the way you're currently serving others? Let me give you one more chance to raise your hands. Um, Raise your hands if you're like me and, and you wish you were a little further along in this area. Yeah. I've got some growing to do in this area. The good news is we can kind of see how to grow. So what's the point here? The issue isn't really who is my neighbor. The issue is who has my heart. The issue is who am I? And that's what we talk about every time we gather as the church. Who is controlling your heart? What is the God of your passions? Something is the God of your passions. We just believe that God should be the God, Jesus Christ. Remember, who we are determines how we see the world, and how we see the world determines what we do for God. So really, we need to work on who we are. So let me just close with some challenges to you. What can we do? How do we respond? How does this get practical? Number one, open your eyes and begin to see others with compassion. Open your eyes. 
Who is in need around you? What opportunities are there right where you are in your little corner of the world? You don't have to go to another country. You don't don't have to go to the other side of town. What is God wanting you to do right where you are? Are there homeless and hurting people? Are there those who are alone and suffering in isolation? Are there those who are in poverty and in need of a helping hand? Are some sick and suffering and needing healing? Are there people that are new to this area and confused? Are there those around you who are religious but lost even in their religion? This close to the university, are there educated who are still searching and seeking? Where are you prompted to minister? Where is the Holy Spirit of God telling you to step out of your comfort zone and and to make a difference? And, And what are you waiting for? See a need, meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. So ask God to help you see opportunities right there in your little corner of the world. Open your eyes and see with compassion. And then open your heart and fill with compassion. Are you cold to the things around you? Do you feel what you need to feel? You know, a counselor will tell you in a marriage, it's not anger that's the most dangerous thing for that marriage. Sometimes it's healthy to be angry Apathy is the most dangerous thing when you don't care anymore, when you don't feel anything anymore, when your heart doesn't break. Ask God to break your heart for the things that break His. We need more of that in the body of Christ. Friday night, I had an incredible evening. I stopped by our Celebrate Recovery service that meets here every Friday evening. My friend Jonathan leads that. Tremendous group of people. And I I sat in the back, and I just need you to know I cried like a baby from the beginning because every time somebody got up and they'd say, "Uh, my name's Paul, and and I'm a grace-saved sinner, and everybody would go, hi, Paul. (laughs) And and then they'd say, you know, and I'm I'm a recovering addict from this or that. Everybody would go, you got it. Keep on. And then one of our friends, man, he was celebrating a year of sobriety. Jonathan had met him at a hospital in a season that could have been the end of his life. And he said, man, something's got to change. And he invited him to CR. And, and the man has, has begun a relationship with Christ. And he started coming to CR and he cooks. He's a chef. He cooks for Celebrate Recovery every Friday evening. And Friday was his one-year celebration. He was getting that one-year chip from, from being sober, from drugs and alcohol. And he had family that flew in from Pennsylvania and from San Diego and from Georgia. And the whole crowd was just there cheering him on and saying, way to go. I'm so proud of you. Man, why can't we have more of that in the church? Instead, we come and we sit if we don't like the song and we have sour faces and, and we've grown cold to the things that stir the heart of God. Our faith is not based on feeling, but our faith must not be void of feelings. 
Open your eyes and see with compassion. Open your heart and feel with compassion. Open your hands and and serve with compassion. This is where we understand I can't just stand there. I have to do something. Say, do something. something. (laughs) See, I knew you wouldn't like that part. Say that again. Say, do something. That's a little better. See, true love's always demonstrated, and we know that from the life of Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love. How? He prayed for us. Yeah, that's not what it says. God demonstrated his love in that he thought about us. No, sending my thoughts and prayers. (laughs) No, God demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did something. He acted on this feeling, this compassion. So what are you doing? What are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing for the others right there in front of you? You say, I don't know what to do. Let me give you a few ideas. Raise your hand if you ever have driven by somebody who's homeless. Okay, you're not out on the road if you're not raising your hands. Uh, go buy one little box of Ziploc bags and then a box of granola bars. And go to the dollar bin at CVS or Walgreens or Target or Walmart and get some of those little toothpaste or Publix and, 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 uh, and, and some deodorant or, or something like that, just some necessities. Get a track from the, the back of uh, one of our campuses and, and, and just give out a gospel track in that bag. and Just have a, a homeless gift bag that next time you see somebody, you can just roll down your window and say, hey, I hope this helps in Jesus' name. You know, we're, we're in one of the hospital centers of Florida, one of the most populous states in, in our country. And we got hospitals all around us. People come from around the world to get help at Moffitt Cancer Center. You want to do something? Just go one day and do prayer walks around the hospital. And you'll probably see some people and, and they may see you. What are you doing? Just say, man, I'm just praying in Jesus' name for healing for those that are here. You want something a little more organized? Do you know every Friday night at our Mission Hill Ministry Center, our, our six-mile campus, do you know we feed homeless and, and those who just need a hot meal and they hear the gospel? Uh, this Friday night, three of them began a relationship with Christ, and unless something happened, four people were being baptized again this morning on that campus. You want to know what to do? When you leave today, we're going to give you these little cards. The front say, shining the light and the love of Jesus. The back just say, please enjoy this act of kindness. Next time you go to Chick-fil-A, ask if you can pay for the car behind you and, and just give them one of these and ask the person to give them one of these cards. This isn't hard. You don't need a program to do something for Jesus. You just need a pulse. And some of us, we're not living it out. How many lives shall I touch today? How many neighbors will pass my way? I can bless so many and help so much if I meet each one with a Christ-like touch. Open your eyes and see. Open your heart and feel. Open your hands and serve. Open your wallet and give with compassion. You're never more like Jesus than when you give generously. So I just ask you simply, we talk about that regularly here in our church, so let me just ask you, what is God calling you to sacrifice as a tangible demonstration of his love? 
If, if there's no sacrifice in your life for him, I'm not talking about you can't afford cable because it's not in your budget. If, if there's no sacrifice financially in your life for him, man, then how are, how are you tangibly expressing what he means to you? What I want you to understand is that so much of what we hear and see in this world is a lie. Life is not about the positions you hold or the platforms you have or the possessions you attain or the applause you gain. Life is about the passion you possess and the tangible difference those passions make in your life. Loving God others. Loving God passionately. Loving others intentionally. So I'd ask you, are you like that good Samaritan? Willing to go out of your way and get out of your comfort zone in order to love others intentionally? Sometimes that's not easy. It certainly wasn't easy for Shelby. Watch her story. My dad was so goofy. He was just a, a super funny, but super loving and caring guy. He loved his job as a police officer and uh, he, he was full of energy all the time. I remember growing up and going to church every Sunday with my, my mom and my dad. And at the age of seven, uh, my dad actually um, kind of walked me through salvation. On December 3rd, I was at Dallas Baptist University uh, and I went to class that morning and had some homework to do after and so I left and I got a text from a pastor of mine and he said, are you at home or are you at DBU? And my mom ended up texting me the same question. So I knew something was wrong. So I went to my car, called her right away and I said, you know, what's going on? She said, your dad was in an accident today. I said, you know, okay, where is he? Uh, what's wrong? And uh, that's when she said the words, uh, he's not here anymore. At this time, uh, Richard and Shelly's oldest daughter, Shelby, is going to pay tribute. You know, what do you, what do you say, you know, and what do you do? And I mean, I knew this day would come at some point in my life. <laughs> Um, however, I didn't think it would come so soon. And there's so much I want to say about my dad. It's funny looking back on my eulogy because it's just totally not me. It's totally Jesus. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. After I left, um, the graveside burial, I got out my phone and I had so many messages 
uh, just from people who had watched all across the country, but even like the world. And even people coming to me saying, I, I don't believe in Jesus at all. But just the words that you said have encouraged me to go to church again or um, to purchase a Bible. Maybe for the first time people truly felt or saw what it was like to know Jesus. Just seeing so many lives being turned to Jesus, there, there's no words for that. And unfortunately, um, I had to lose him uh, to see just the redemption and the way that Jesus has used this. I know that he um, would probably look back and say, you know, it was all worth it to know that people will be with Jesus forever because of it. You know, if I could tell my dad anything, it would probably just be that uh, it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. Pretty powerful, huh? Had a chance to hear from Shelby personally in a live setting. And while she hasn't had the opportunity to share with the person who took her father's life, she has had the opportunity to go and speak in prisons and, and tell the prisoners there that that same love and that forgiveness of God is available to them. Yet, you see, loving others intentionally, it's, it's not easy. But it is always worth it. But too often, we're like the lawyer. We know the right answers. We just, we don't respond right. John MacArthur said of this passage, it's a tragic example of missed opportunities that rivals Judas. The scribe, despite asking the right question of the right person and receiving the right answer, he turned away to face eternal death. You see, when we know what's right to do and, and we don't do it the Bible calls that sin and it's really an indication of who we are so who are you? remember who we are determines what we see and, and, and what we see, how we see determines it determines what we're going to do for God so let's get this right let's be the church Let's represent him well. Let's serve him faithfully. If that's not enough motivation, let me just remind you of this reality. Here's the truth. We may or may not identify with the Good Samaritan. But every one of us identify with the guy on the side of the road. We've all been broken and helpless. <laughs> we were beaten down and robbed of joy by sin in our life. But get this. Jesus saw us. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion. He loves us, the Bible says. But he doesn't stop there. That love led him to do something. He died for us, opening his hands on the cross as the payment and the punishment for our sin. That was his way of giving to us.
And he's still giving more grace, more grace, more grace as we need it. Let's love God passionately. Let's love others intentionally. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, oh God, may we heed the words of Jesus. May we go from this place and do like we have heard to do. For most of us, Lord, that just means may we do what we already know. For the name of Jesus and for your glory. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you are a Christ follower, you know with confidence that your eternity is secure with Jesus. I want you just to ask God this simple question today. God, what do you want me to do? Not what do you want me to learn? We've already had those moments. Not what do you want me to hear? You've already had that opportunity. What do you want me to do? I believe there's something or someone that God's already placed on your mind as we've walked through this message, and there's some action that's necessary from you. But maybe you're here and you've not experienced the truth of God's love in your life in a personal way. You've never understood that it's not just about being religious, but trusting that Jesus died for you out of his love for you, and he wants you to surrender your life to his control. That's the reality. We're all born separated from God because of our sin. That sin has to be punished. Jesus took your punishment. He took my punishment. And he offers us life in return. Forgiveness, freedom, and opportunity to live for him. If you've never taken that step, would you consider doing that today? All you got to do is tell him that's what you want to do. Maybe you'd pray this prayer right here, right now. Just say this. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus... Thank you for this moment. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be forgiven. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I even believe you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. And I'm ready to start following you. So here I am. Turning from my sin. From my selfish ways. And I'm turning to you. I tell him thank you. Say thank you Jesus. Thank you for saving me. And make this commitment to him. Just say, Jesus, I'm following you not just today, but for the rest of my life. Jesus, I, I want to say thank you because you're not just a, a great storyteller. And your words don't just bring conviction, they bring healing. So Lord, I thank you that you have saved people even today. God, thank you for being a God who truly is mighty to save. We worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Save.
He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Let's all stand and sing that. Savior, He can move the mountains. Praise church. Give him praise. Be seated just for a moment more. I want to encourage you to make sure you take out this connect card. It's a way you give us information, like your email. Every week we send out emails, multiple ones. For example, yesterday there was a special email that was sent out. I thought even though I'd sent an email out on Friday that I kind of had typed out before the sun was up Friday morning, we needed to hear again about something that had taken place. For all of my lifetime, uh, we have been praying about what has been law in the U.S. that many of us from a faith perspective have never understood. We believe that every life created is in the image of God, and that life begins at the conception of life. And, and so abortion has, has long been something that's been a burden to, to so many of us. And, and so I, I sent out an email yesterday just celebrating that... Uh, our Supreme Court has acted and, and that that has, has changed. I, I want you to understand something, though. Let me tell you what, that does not change. That does not change how we respond to this issue as a church in multiple ways long before Friday. It doesn't change the fact that we still partner with organizations like One More Child and New Life. Uh, 
Um, I just went blank. Uh, New Life Solutions, Door of Hope, other ministries uh, that meet people in these, uh, in these moments uh, of need. Um, it, it doesn't change the fact that many in our church family have adopted children and are fostering children because we recognize that you have to work on all sides of this issue. Um, it doesn't change the fact that we're still a place of grace. And we know that just statistically, probably many women who are even a part of, of, of a time like this have experienced the pain of abortion. And, and so there's so many just mixed emotions that are, are going into this day. Um, but, but we still, we, we celebrate for the, before the Lord the opportunity to celebrate life. And so we get to tell you stuff like that if you give us your information. It also gives us your prayer request. It also gives you a chance to tell us any spiritual decisions you made. So like today, I didn't ask you to raise your hand, but if you prayed that prayer with me or one in your own words to begin a relationship with Christ, I just want you to check this box that says, I have decided to follow Jesus because that's what you did today. That's not joining our church. Uh, I'm going to tell you how you can do that in a moment, but this just lets us know that you're part of God's family, and we may reach out and see if you have any questions. Make sure you've got a Bible, things like that. If you are interested in becoming a part of our church, I'm teaching a class this Wednesday night, our membership class, so check that box. We'd be interested. Maybe you're interested in following Christ in baptism like those you've seen on the screen in the services today. Uh, it, it would be a great time. A lot of ways you can... Uh, Communicate with us through this. And you can leave that on your seat or you can put it in one of the giving boxes uh, before you leave today. Now, speaking of our giving boxes, I just want to encourage you to be faithful. Be faithful first to the Lord's church. That's where we would encourage everybody to be faithful in giving. Uh, the last couple of weeks in our budget giving have been a little lower. It's not a surprise to us. It usually is in the summer. Uh, but we would ask you, if, if, if you're able, to just continue to be faithful with your financial giving because it makes a difference. Uh, it, it makes a difference because you support the things that are going on in the life of church, like student camp. Our, our students just came back from camp from two weeks ago. Watch this video and hear some of what God did in their lives. This place is trying to break my belief. But my faith is bigger than all I can see. And what I need. And what I need is for you to put me back on my feet. Whoa, oh, oh. This was my first time going to camp, and it's just like an indescribable feeling of joy. The entire thing's like one big party where you just learn about Jesus. And the theme was so much more, and it's about how Jesus is just so much more than you could ever want and imagine and dream of, and that is just amazing. Like, there's no other way to describe it.
My favorite thing about camp was the people. Not only getting to know new people, but also getting to know um, some friends that I already had, getting to know them better. Uh, I made a camp best friend. You know, I met kids from other churches. I had a blast with the guys in uh, the dorm I was staying in. Um, we pulled some fun shenanigans. Luke broke a shower. That was an awesome camp. Something that really spoke out to me was the worship. I love singing. Singing is one of my passions. So this song really spoke to me. It's called Start With Me by Seacoast Music. And it says this. We're gonna be a believing generation. We're gonna pray till the whole earth looks like heaven. Let heaven come. If there's gonna be revival, let it start in me. So I kind of made this an anthem in my life because I want to rise up and be different and I want to show others Jesus through me. So let revival start in me. Isn't that exciting? That's the kind of, that's the kind of difference your giving makes. Uh, we were able to say to students, you want to go to camp, we want to get you there. But this, the summer's not over. Uh, this week, let me just tell you what's going on. Tomorrow, we have children leaving for children's camp. We have more of our teenagers going to experience some intense leadership training uh, in what's called Student Leadership University in Orlando. And then we've got a team of folks that are going on mission to Ecuador. I'm going to ask them to come and stand before us right now. Would you welcome our Ecuador mission team as they begin to come? This is exciting. There are some needs that we have for this team we want you to make aware of. There's some can't be here this morning because there's still sickness, uh, and we want that to get uh, healed up before they uh, head out at uh, the end of this week. There are also uh, some challenges in the country that we want to get kind of ironed out, and we just want to pray for peace and uh, safety there in Ecuador. And then the reality, this is a biggie. We've got a couple of the folks before us that are still waiting on passports to get back. That has kind of bogged down, and they're supposed to be leaving on Friday. So we're going to pray specifically. All of our prayer power pulled together as we ask and commission this team right now. So let's pray together. Father, again, we've, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you because uh, really we're able, we're able to express joy for an answer to what we prayed in that Luke 10-2 prayer. You're sending laborers into the harvest field to Ecuador. So, Father, we just ask you to do some things in preparation for that. We ask that you'd give them a good week of health and you give healing to those that are sick uh, so that they'll be prepared as they go. Lord, we pray that you would work out all the details. Uh, this is anxiety-creating when we think about their passports not being here yet. So, God, I just pray that you do whatever it takes, work miracles, move mountains, to bring those uh, passports to the right place so these trips will not be impeded. Uh, Lord, we also pray for what's taking place on the ground there in Ecuador, that you would just provide a, a safe and prepared environment, Lord, that is, is the result then of a ministry that takes place because of uh, you sending these laborers out into your harvest field. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We pray for the families that will be here praying for their loved ones as they go. Lord, we just pray for every need that is before them on this trip. And we ask you to meet those needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you give God praise again? We're excited for you guys. We're praying for those passports.
One last time, you're not going to hear this again on a Sunday morning for a year. One last time is your opportunity today to give to the Barnabas Effect. Uh, if you have questions about that, Pastor Eliel and my friend Greg Cronus will be out in our atrium. There's a table set up. They can explain that if, if you don't understand. You can put a part of that card in your hand or your wallet just to remind you what you did. Or you can put that card or a gift in one of the giving boxes. And then you can make a one-time gift even today. Thank you for doing that. Hey, speaking of giving. Now... I don't know if we really celebrated this appropriately two weeks ago. It was the end of our vacation Bible school. We celebrated that our students, our children, our children in vacation Bible school gave almost $3,000 to missions. That was a big deal. That was a really big deal. And so as a result, Miss Renee Adams and my son Luke, who was one of the helpers, they were slimed that day. And in, in a moment of all I can explain is sheer stupidity. I said that morning, hey, if that's what motivates, so be it. And I, I said, we've got a parking lot need over here, and it floods when it rains, and now we're in the rainy season, and it's going to take about $15,000 um, to meet that need. And I said on that day, I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, if, if somebody just wants to meet that need, I'll get slimed. And lo and behold, I was walking off the platform last service, and DJ, our financial administrator, he says, Pastor Paul, I got some bad news. He said, I just checked our online giving, and yesterday, someone made that entire gift to make that parking lot happen. That's actually good news, isn't it? That's not bad news. That's great news. <laughs> That's great news. And so here's what's going to happen. Starting next week, we're meeting in one service in this room. It's going to be full. It's going to be great. One service every Sunday in July, 1045. And the last Sunday of the month, July 31st, we'll all meet together, all of our campuses. We're going to have a meal after that. It's going to be a great day. You're going to hear everything about it. On that day, with all of our campuses gathered, I'll be slimed, true to my word. Yep, it's true. It's true. So this card just reminds you of that. I think one last thing I would just tell you, you're going to get these cards as you leave today. Use them. Put this message to work. There's no reason we shouldn't do it. Aren't you grateful you're at the house of God today? It's been a good day. Thank you. What a tremendous summer crowd. You are awesome today. Ladies, why don't you come close us out?